do the cat crime, you get the cat time. Yeah, they're circling like vultures. And it's like, ha, I know. Ha, yeah, ha. You, know, you know that scene in uh, Jurassic World where Chris Pratt's like got all the raptors and he's like holding his hands out? That's me right now. Gideon identifies as a raptor. <laughs> we just would like to remind you that none of the things that we say should be taken as official recommendations. We try to know what we're talking about, but this podcast ultimately represents the opinions of a couple yahoos with master's degrees. It's <laughs> mainly for entertainment. Right. So if you feel that you need help with your own mental health, we encourage you, please talk to your very own doctor or your very own counselor. Get real help. And remember, this podcast is not safe for work, so listen with headphones. Hello and welcome to Freudian Sips. The podcast about brains, beverages, and other BS. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna. I was taking the factual route. Yeah, I, I always try to match like tone. <laughs> I've with you. noticed that. So I when have you do like that. a newscaster thing, I'm like, I guess we're doing newscaster today. Or if I I'm like, I'm Bonnie! <laughs> I'm Anna! <laughs> I'm Bonnie. That's our golf commentator voice. <laughs> our, gol- our golf ASMR. We have used that in previous yeah. episodes. So. We're going to run out of wacky voices. I know. I know. If I could do accents, I would do that. But you know me in <laughs> accents. How are you, Anna? I'm, I'm doing... There's a pandemic. I know. <laughs> I'm fine. How many episodes are we going to have to do before we can say, well... We're over the pandemic. Yeah. I don't know. I wonder if there will be a day where it's like, okay, today we're... There really won't, will there? It's going to go in stages. I mean, there's already states that are opening up. I don't think they should, but they are. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we'll see, right? We'll see what happens with those states. Whatever will be, will be. Good luck, those states. (laughs) Godspeed. I'm going to stay inside for a while. We had a local business in our little town where we're not supposed to be open. Was it the beginning of this week or last week? Did you see that on the news? No. The little corner tavern that sometimes you get cheeseburgers from. I was coming home from work from my counseling job, and there were all these cars everywhere. And, you know, these days you don't see a whole lot of cars in one place. You're like, what's happening there? What's going on? Yeah, something's going on. And there were like three cop cars. And where we live, that's a lot of cop cars. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say. three in one place. Yeah. It's like, hmm. You want to rubberneck a little? Yeah. Outside of my work, there was shouting happening, and there were two cop cars that Uh came to break that up. Shouting? Yes. This is a pandemic. You cannot shout. I know. There's no shouting. People, no shouting on the street. Stop it. Well, this, what it, what they actually did was they opened up for a night. like Pandemic were, party! And there were pictures of, it would just look like a regular night at the tavern. Everybody was at the bar and at tables and stuff. And yeah. But um, they very quickly closed. Um, yeah. The police like gave them some kind of citation. Well, and yeah. They, but there, there wasn't like any violence or anything. But everybody got their cheeseburgers and their beer. And, and the owners got and a citation. COVID. And, and their COVID. So now their plate is full. Yep, cheeseburger with a side of COVID. (laughs) One of my little clients who's 12 makes a lot of comments about kind of sarcastic comments, and but she always says, it's the COVID. The COVID. (laughs) It's the Rona. (laughs) Oh, my. Okay, should we talk about Uh, le beverage? Le beverage. (laughs) Yes. That's... That's French the for be- the beverage. <laughs> French for the beverage. Are you French We're multicultural. As we beverage. Yes, we should. We are drinking a themed drink, which we haven't done in a while. And Anna mixed it up all fancy with a happy with a look little, on her face. Little shaker. We've been uh, watching Bar Rescue a little bit. They say when you shake things, you have to have this like manic smile on your face so that's kind of the look i adopted that was exactly how she looked (laughs) so she was manic this is a martini you can't tell because you don't have martini glasses so we're drinking it out of wine glasses sorry it's a martini it's two ounces of vodka half an ounce of blue carasau i think that's how you say that and an ounce and a half of cranberry juice and you shake it real good with ice so it's Mm -hmm. chilled and then you strain it Shake and not stirred. Yes, yes. The website that I got this from called it the Ink Cocktail Number Two, but that's not what we're calling it. 
We're calling it the ink blot. <laughs> yes it's kind of dark like ink you know it does look like ink i agree ink blot okay as i was looking for this apparently squids ink cocktails are a thing because I, I like looked i saw the recipes and i was like oh that's perfect it's probably you know i i kind of expected this is it's kind of purpley but it's dark purple like black like ink kind of yeah and I thought it would be a recipe like this that would make a black cocktail. Mm-hmm. No, it's a martini with actual squid ink in it. Is uh, that <laughs> healthy? Good? Healthy? I, mean, I don't what, think so. A squid's ink. I don't think it's toxic. I think they do it as a defense mechanism. Right. But I don't think it would be tasty. And why the hell would you want to drink And it? I was like, I probably can't get that in 12 hours before I mean, we record. Go, so. go scare a squid somewhere. Right. And, uh, can, I, can, can I ask him that? <laughs> can I just, ink? just real quick? <laughs> I mean, I'd almost <laughs> rather drink real ink than squid ink. I don't know. It's about a 50-50. Is that not how we get real ink? It's not just squid ink? Anyone who has a fountain pen has to have a pet squid to get more ink. <laughs> and scare them every once in a while when they're out of ink. Boo. So, Mom, Thank you for not using squid ink. You're welcome. I appreciate I that. I couldn't have gotten it if I tried. <laughs> Why are we drinking a drink called the Ink Blot today, Mom? Hmm, you're going to make me say his name first, huh? Yeah. This is one of those words that my mouth doesn't form well. <laughs> it's a difficult word. We're going to talk today about Rorschach. There you go. You did it. First try. See if I think too hard about it. Yeah. I know you thought a real long time. You looked in the sky. I like know. God I was going to tell you I how was to like, pronounce Lord, it. I was like, Lord, give me the ability to say this <laughs> God, word. God, give me strength. <laughs> Rorschach. Rorschach. I think sometimes I, I overthink saying it. Well, there's a lot of consonants and right I, in the middle I there. know. I kind of want to put another R in there somewhere at Rorschach. the end. Like there's not enough consonants. <laughs> not enough know. R's. We're going to actually talk about him. Him, of course. Specifically. Uh, and then we'll obviously. talk about his ink blots. Right. Because he was the one who did the ink blot test. The... And that's a thing that is kind of, everybody knows about ink blots. Because it's it's in movies. Right. I mean, not like the real how to use them and stuff. Right. But I mean, like the whole idea Whenever, of it. Whenever, like... I was just watching a show where there was a, a psychiatry evaluation and they used ink blots. And I'm like, first of all, this kid's five. Second of all, does anyone actually use those? But maybe, mm-hmm. maybe. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Maybe that will be revealed Stay in tuned. this episode. <laughs> if you've always wondered who uses real? ink blots. Is that real? Do yeah, people actually yeah. use ink blots? We're going to get into all that today. <laughs> all right. So how do we begin, Anna? Well, let's begin as we always do when we're talking about anything to do with a person, mm-hmm. where I'm going to talk a little bit about who Rorschach was. Mm-hmm. His name was Herman Rorschach. Herman. H-E-R-M-A-N-N-R-O-R-S-C-H-A-C-H. Got a lot of consonants all over. A lot of consonants all squished together there. So I don't do this often enough, probably. I I know we are friends with some podcasts who like are meticulous about sharing their sources. And we're always just like, we found this on the internet somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Don't make me start using reference. Right. I am going to cite my reference for this. All right. Go ahead. It's just I I got most of my information from one of the most comprehensive biographies of Herman Rorschach. It's called The Ink Blots. Herman Rorschach, His Iconic Test, and the Power of Seeing. And wow. it's by Damon Searles. 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 I don't know how to say his last name. Damon something. I actually got this on BookBub for like two bucks. So I've had this for a while. I only read the first couple of chapters last night. But if you're not on BookBub and you read, join BookBub. Because you get a daily email that's like, here's books that are on sale for like a dollar or free. They have a lot of free books. So Like electronically, I'm yes, assuming. Yes, like okay. Kindle ebooks. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, it's chef's kiss. I love BookBub. I have found some true gems on there. Sorry for this interruption, sipsters, but Anna's nails look fabulous today. Thanks. And when she just did her little chef kiss, it was really good because of those nails. Thanks, Mom. She's, you, they're gorgeous. <laughs> Usually she tells me that before we start yeah, recording. Yeah, I forgot. She to, forgot. Yeah. <laughs> but they look fabulous today. Speaking of looking fabulous, I personally think that Rorschach's kind of hot. <laughs> Rorschach, listen, this may be too much. I'm just saying. But Herman is a snack. <laughs> and 
At least the picture we saw of him. I'm sure that at different times in his life, maybe he was. We'll get into that. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about him. Herman Rorschach was born <laughs> November 8th, 1884 in Zurich, Switzerland. 1884. Wow. Yeah, I know. This is a, it's an interesting time because that is kind of the beginning of psychology. Right, right. He was the eldest of three kids born to parents Ulrich and Philippine. Uh, his mom was warm and energetic. His dad was well liked, but a bit reserved due to having a slight speech impediment. Hmm. They theorize it was like a slight lisp and that he could overcome it if he really thought about it. But he was just sort of quiet. Dad was actually an art teacher in middle school and was overall really creative. He wrote a poem book and he also wrote like an art treatise that talked a lot about like the form of things. And it actually went into psychology and consciousness a little bit. So. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. It, it, they He just, Herman grew up in a family that really encouraged creativity and thinking about that kind of stuff, like enlightenment stuff. Right. Renaissance right. family. Mm-hmm. He had a sister, Anna. Shout out. Yay. Anna. And a brother, Paul, and again, he was the oldest of the three. And he spent his childhood in northern Switzerland in Schaffhausen. And <laughs> bless you. <laughs> uh, like I said, they were just a really happy family. They were really loving. They had a lot of creativity, a lot of laughter. What I read in this, in the book that I mentioned, was that his mom was like really jokey and like they would play pranks on her and she would just laugh with them. And so wow. she was really nice. And uh, his Kinda dad. Like your mommy, and Exactly. I play pranks <laughs> on you and you laugh. <laughs> She gives me crap and I, I laugh. do. You give it right back. <laughs> and Ulrich actually grew up with not a great set of parents. So mm. he was determined to make his family really loving and really open. So Aww. just That's they so were cool. a really good couple. But then in summer 1897, when Herman was 12, his mother developed diabetes. Oh. So this was before insulin treatments. In those days, that mm-hmm. was it. And she died four weeks later. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine getting a diagnosis of diabetes and dying from and it? D- like in weeks. I mean, boom. it's it's so yeah. common that we just, okay, if you have diabetes, you have to live with like insulin. I mean, your life is significantly different, but mm-hmm. it's not a death sentence. Right. And just so many things were death sentences back then. Exactly. Obviously, the family was devastated. They had a lot of housekeepers move in to help. And then a year or so later, around Christmas of 1898, Ulrich came in to the playroom of the children and announced that they were going to have a new mother. Wait a minute, how long? About a year later. Okay. First of all, if you're going to get remarried, don't announce it that way to your kids. (laughs) You're getting a new mommy. If you're listening to this, don't. (laughs) Actually, they knew this person. It was one of Philippines' half-sisters, Regina. Okay. Yes. Anna and Paul didn't like it. Anna reportedly burst into tears. Paul started screaming. But Herman tried to keep a really level head. He was like, guys, this is going to be fine. Let's Mm -hmm. all chill. Let's all just take it slow. He was the oldest. He was, yes. Trying to, okay. And he was just generally kind of calm, cool, and collected from what I read. He was really quiet and really like thoughtful and stuff. So I think that was just sort of his temperament. But yeah, he was doing the big brother thing. Mm hmm. And it was fine at first. Uh-oh. So Regina dun, dun, dun. and Ulrich, yeah, that is an appropriate noise for the story. <sighs> Regina and Ulrich had another child, a half-sister to the three kids, also named Regina. <laughs> they called her Reginelli. Why don't you just call her Reginelli if you were going to name her? Like, if you're going to call, if you're going to call a kid a thing, just name the kid that thing. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> maybe I'm new-fashioned. I don't know. <laughs> So her name was Regina. They called her Reginelli. Months after this, months after Reginelli's birth, Ulrich began developing worsening palsy and then fatigue and dizzy spells. Oh, jeez. He was diagnosed with a neurological disorder from lead poisoning from painting. Oh. Yeah. Herman obviously helped Regina care for his father for several years. He often stayed with Ulrich to the point where Herman developed a lung infection from the stress. Oh. And when Ulrich died in June 1903, Herman was too sick to attend the funeral. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. The hits keep on coming. After Ulrich's death, Regina became super strict. Paul and Anna hated her. And Herman was 18 at the time. And he really stepped up and became what Anna described as both mother and father to her and Paul. So again, he just felt very obligated to take care of his younger siblings. So let's pivot to talking about Herman himself. Mm Mm-hmm. 
According to a cousin, Herman could look at something for a very long time, absorbed in his thoughts. He was a well-behaved child, quiet like his father, and he was described as a dreamer. Mm. He showed artistic skill from a really early age. Obviously, growing up in a really creative, artistic family kind of bred that, I think. And that's that nurture thing. Yeah. And he was drawing landscapes, plants, people really often. He did woodcuts. He did cutouts. He did sewing. And he also wrote things like novels and plays. He did architecture sometimes. Wow. Just renaissance man, like mm-hmm. I said. And kids in school called him Klex. I want you to guess what that means. Could you spell it for me? K-L-E-X. Klex. Complex. Oh, good one. I like that. It means inkblot. Oh my gosh, really? (laughs) Yes. Is it like a different language that means inkblot? I think so. Okay, why would they call him that? Even as a child, he liked doing inkblots. He would, uh, so this is called klexography. Okay. So it's where you, and actually it was developed by a, a guy named Justinus Kerner by accidentally dropping ink on a page and he like folded, folded it, it and then made pictures mm-hmm. out of it. And so Herman liked to do that. He mm-hmm. would like make inkblot pictures so much that people started that calling him so inkblot. Cool. That I is know. so cool. Klex, okay. Yes. So for some context, inkblots had already been around by this point. They were already considered as significant for projective testing. And when we talk about what a projective test is, you might get into this, so shut me up if I get too far. What a projective test is, we have a couple of them in psychology. You look at something and talk about what you see in it. Right. Um, Rorschach tests are not the only ones we have. We have the thematic apperception test, where it's like you look at a picture and have to tell a story about the picture so it's really open-ended and it's that's what we call projective tests Mm -hmm. Um, so even from this time a little before this time ink blots were being used as projective tests alfred benet actually one of the benet simon iq test developers was using ink blots as a creativity test and it was speculated that one of Herman's inspirations for his inky exploits was a book by Justinus Kerner, Klexographian, which mm. was a book of poems by Kerner where each poem was inspired by an inkblot drawing. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't, I'm going to show you this, <laughs> this inkblot, okay? Are we ready? <laughs> That's awesome. Now it's hard. It's you not like to- this is a, an inkblot blot test because he already drew something in it right it's like a clown on a wall like, yeah i was thinking like a jester like a jester yeah, yeah yeah it's like he took the original ink blot and, and then added he, to he it. added yes. to it to make it something yeah you, you know we kind of did that kind of thing in kindergarten sometimes sure. where they would do something like with paint or something and then they had to or a squiggle line and then yeah, they had to make it into something. I, i've done that with counseling kids before yeah, too if we yeah. just need something to do to fill the time i'll mm-hmm. like squiggle something and then have them choose a see shape what they, from it yeah yeah, see yeah. What they can see in yeah it. it's kind of a makeshift right, <laughs> right exactly uh so that comes with i'm gonna read you the mom it took me so long to decipher this poem there was i couldn't find a translation anywhere it's in german so i tried to so i don't know if you guys know this listening google translate has a thing where you can hold it up to a picture like like text oh really i didn't know you could do that yeah it will like real time translate it wow but it's like it's like a manuscript so it's in like fancy writing so it couldn't pick out the letters oh geez i know so i'm like god so So did you like retype i retyped it into google translate anna you are so so dedicated. This is Sipsters. how much I love you guys. Yeah, Sipsters. she is very dedicated to you guys. Okay, All I'm right. not even going to attempt to read this in German because I'll offend every German person <laughs> listening. So we should have had your husband read it. I do, I don't know how good he is at German. <laughs> I don't. Is anyone good mm. at German? Actually, the, we should get the person from, and that's why we drink, which is another podcast. Actually, one uh-huh. of the podcasts that made me want to get into podcasting. One of the the hosts on there came from a German family, and she speaks fluent German. Oh, I, I should call her because mm-hmm. I have her number. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. Because I have her speed number. Speed dial, baby. Right. The pre-poison found some of the bodies, which is preceded by long black plagues, appear in front of the night feast. You often hear complaining, crying. The glass pot says that's a howl in the forest of owls. What? <laughs> Dude, I think you have to be high to get that. What? <laughs> All I heard was something about owls and... Uh, Howling owl. And dead bodies. <laughs> 
and I don't I know what that goes with the picture the plague thing. Is that for the picture with yeah. that you showed me with the clown yes. thing? Yes. Yeah, that's that's very dark for that. I don't I know. I don't care for it. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I don't know if there were all they were all like that. I also don't know if I translated it correctly <laughs> because I had to retype it. <laughs> So it's, it probably means something really different, and I just it's totally, totally like, messed it up. The jester sat on the wall. The jester and... is in the circus, and there were and there were cups, and there was a spinning plate, and some owls performed as right. well. Right, and an elephant. <laughs> nope, it's an owl now. I don't know. It's got a vibe uh, to it. Yeah. So yeah, that was uh, that was kind of put ink blots in the public consciousness, mm-hmm. and then it was used in projective testing. Herman was always a good student. He often tutored his peers. By the time he was about to graduate high school, he couldn't decide between a career in art or one in science. Mm-hmm. He even wrote a letter to Ernst Haeckel, a German biologist, and he asked for advice. Basically, like, what should I do with my yeah. life? <laughs> Ernst suggested science because he was a biologist. I uh-huh. don't know what Herman expected. But what? poor Herman didn't have his parents to say, what do you think I would be best so at? So that's and... the other thing is that yeah. uh, it's speculated that a big factor in him not choosing art was because that was really shortly after the death of his father. Yeah, His father died like right before graduation. Aww. So he might have been more inclined to choose art if his father was still around. Mm-hmm. So he enrolled in medical school at the University of Zurich. He began learning Russian and even traveled to Russia for a time during his studies. He liked it so much that he considered moving to Russia permanently, but eventually took a job in a mental hospital in Switzerland. Uh, quick note, personal note, around this time in 1909, he became engaged to Olga Stempelin, a girl from modern-day Russia, is how they put it. And what that modern means. Modern-day Russia, okay. Yeah. Uh, They married in 1912 and actually lived in Russia until Herman's work took them back to Switzerland in 1915. They had two kids, a daughter, Elizabeth, who they called Lisa. Again, just name her Lisa. I don't know. Not going to tell you the parent, but like. (laughs) Say what you mean. Say what you mean. Name her Lisa. (laughs) I like the name Lisa, but let's name her something totally different so that we can still call her Lisa. And a son, Ulrich Vaden. That's pretty direct. Ulrich. What do they call him? Rick? Wadim. <laughs> the middle name. They call him his middle name. Yeah. Hmm. Just use Ulrich as the middle name. Yeah. It's okay. But neither of those children had kids, so. That's interesting. I don't know. I know. There's probably other Rorschachs from Paul and Anna, but hmm. I don't know. Okay, back to career stuff. In 1912, he finished his doctoral dissertation under the psychiatrist Eugen Bleuler, who taught Carl Jung. Yay. Yeah. I, I think I've probably mentioned this before. I had an undergrad psych professor who claimed he could chart his, like, psychological family tree, is what he called like it. Like his ancestry in the in Yeah, psychology. like, his teacher's teacher was this, and his teacher was that, and to, all the way back to Freud, he claimed. Seriously? I, that guy was nuts. I don't <laughs> think it's true. Well, then maybe he was. Maybe he did. <laughs> that would be kind of a cool thing to be able to... Right. Brag about, though. I guess. My lineage. How? It's your lineage. It, that, I think that is lineage. what he called it, his psychological lineage. But psychological lineage. I don't... How would you even... Whatever. I'm not going to talk about it. It upsets me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is in 1912. Uh, this was about a decade after Freud's interpretation of dreams had been published. So the psychology world was just abuzz with talk of psychoanalysis. It was the big thing. Mm-hmm. And that made Herman think of his childhood ink blots and wonder why different people saw different things in them. So mm. while he was a med student, he started showing ink blots to school children and analyzing their responses, which would be the origins of his ink blot experiments. He was still fascinated by Russian culture, and eventually he got a fellowship in Russia. So he moved there in 1913 and continued studying uh, contemporary psychological methods. They returned, like I said, to Switzerland after a couple years, and in 1915, he took a position as assistant director at the Harrisau Regional Psychiatric Hospital. In 1921, he wrote a book, Psychodiagnostic, which has a K instead of a C at the end. That's why I hit that consonant really hard. <laughs> I could hear the K. 
at the end, Thank which you was for, <laughs> you're for explaining that, that strange sound. <laughs> this was the basis for his inkblot test as well. Uh, unfortunately, only one year later, in 1922, he died of peritonitis. Oh my gosh! I know he was 37. Oh my gosh! How sad. So that picture we were talking about, where that he was... looks like a snack, that was one year before his death. Oh. That's that was how he looked his, at the end of his yeah. life. Yes, it's actually a sad story. It's a, a more sad story than dying, I guess. He began having stomach pains, and a lot of people kind of discounted it until it was too late. Like there was a series of unfortunate events here, where Herman and Olga's maid at the time had like an inflamed finger, and Olga urged Herman to lance it. Oh. He didn't do it properly, so the doctor that they took her to then was like, don't ever do that again, like, read in the riot act. So then when Herman was feeling like his stomach was was bad, he didn't want to bother this doctor with it. Uh And Olga didn't call anyone right away because she thought it was nicotine poisoning, which Herman had allegedly had before. So Mm. she discounted it again until it was too late. Finally, Olga called Emil Oberholzer in Zurich, who came to Harrisau with a physician. The physician was the son of the physician that failed to save the life of Ulrich, his father. Oh my gosh, that's like a a weird weird twist of fate, right? So they rushed out, but it was super snowy. They got lost. And by the time they got there, it was too late. He died from what was assumed to be a ruptured appendix uh, on the 2nd of April, 1922. Again, he was age 37. Sorry to end on a bummer, but I have to when they die at the end. It makes you think, though, like if he would have lived another 30 years, what he could have have accomplished. I know. What other great things he could have come up with. In the book, the Inkblot book, it talked, I didn't read a whole lot about it. I just read this pertinent information part, but it talked about a nurse that he worked with, I guess, at Harrisau who had either retired or transferred to another hospital. And even like 40 years after this, she was kicking herself because she was like, if I had been at Harrisau, he would still be alive. Oh my God. So yeah, it's a bad situation. It's very sad. But he did a lot in his short time and he seemed like a really good guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> just like taking care of his siblings and stuff and he was obviously super creative he just seems like a a lot of times when we talk about these people you get into these real dark corners like Mm -hmm. they had these weird habits or fetishes or did weird things to weird people looking at you (laughs) i'm not mentioning any names names, but But with him, it's like he was, you know, from this sweet little family and... Just some tragedies happened, but it's kind of tragedies that unfortunately were very common at the time. And that was life in those days, basically. Life and death in those days. So I do Ooh. recommend if you if you like that, I like I said, I got a lot of information from the Inkblots book. So just look it up. I think right now it's like ten bucks on, on Amazon. So yeah. That's cool. It's a good book. Okay. Shall we talk about the test itself? Let's talk a little bit about the test itself. So when Rorschach first started using the test, he actually had about forty ink blots that he used. Man, that's a lot. But he noticed that he wouldn't use all of them. That sure. he that there were certain ones that would get specific responses that seemed significant. So I think it's important that we talk about, Anna was talking about how this is a projective test and it's an idea of trying to see in people things that are not just shared openly. Right. So it kind of goes back to the whole, it's a very Freudian thought of like, you know, we have this all stuff in our subconscious and and looking at something that's very ambiguous brings out in each of us something different because we have not only our past that's different, but our creativity and the way our brains work and all that. Rorschach specifically wanted to use inkblots in looking for schizophrenia. That was the main goal hmm. when he started um, using it. So I don't. It's hard to know exactly where to start. I think maybe I should start by saying the inkblot tests. Even though we we see it in movies and we hear about it all the time, and you can go anywhere and see all of them, basically. There's a lot of controversy about whether or not uh, the it's test valid. is valid and it's if it's reliable and all that that we worry about when we look at tests in psychology. So one thing one thing I read said that the inkblot tests have like more empirical studies done on them than any other test in because psychology. It was, it was so significant yeah. early on, and so 
Okay, so Anna was giving you the the history of it. Let me say a couple things specifically. As far as all that ambiguity about, well, what is it valid? Is it reliable? Everywhere that you read about it and you look and you every study you look at it begins by saying that the test must be given by a trained, experienced, competent expert, basically. Trained so, specifically, specifically in, in Rorschach. So if you even though, get yeah, we validity. are trained like counselors, right. it's not like we could give this test and right. interpret it correctly. Right. We could use it as a tool and just kind of and make like our a, own yeah. personal clinical observations. Right. But that's not going to be a valid test, so to speak, because people have used it very kind of haphazardly. Well, and you know? we've, I can't remember, we haven't done an episode on art therapy, have we? Not specifically. We've touched on it in several different. There's a lot of art therapy exercises where you basically, it's not as like, here, look at this. It's like right. you have them draw something and you interpret it. Right. So there's a lot of things that I think come from this same well. Exactly. But they're not this. Exactly. So very specifically, the Rorschach test has 10 ink blots. Five of them, and you can see them if you go online and, and you can see all 10 of them. I was going to say the the one that the if you want to look at them, I'll try to put them up on our Instagram, actually, because mm-hmm. I do want to kind of talk about them. This is going to be a hard thing to talk about in an audio medium, but we are going to try to describe the ink blots mm-hmm. a little bit. So the what, the what I searched to find, I think the best one is how to interpret Rorschach ink blots. And I looked at something on psychwatch.blogspot.com and it has them all where you can like click on them and see a bigger version. And then it right. even says like, if you see this, this is what this means. And here are some common ones. Oh, really? So it has all the stuff on it. That was the one that I found. Okay. So, so since you said that, I want to, I'm going to stop what I'm talking about for just a minute and say this because it, it's really weighing on me. Okay. I feel like the validity of this test has been corrupted because we've all looked at them. Right. You know, so if you've already looked at the ink blots and you've thought, okay, well, that looks like a bat to me. And then you read, oh, if you see a bat, it's this, you know. So then if you actually were to take the test, like for reals, yeah, you would still, you'd have all that. I think if it was going to be valid, we would have to have a greater number of ink blots mm-hmm. and use different ones. Right. Okay, so let me just talk about his 10. There are five that are just using black and gray on the white background, two that have black and red on the white background, and then there are three that have various pastel colors. And let me tell you, when you get to the colored ones, it's a system shock. Whoa, what's happening? What's happening? (laughs) The first color you see is the one that's black and red, and that's kind of a shock. And that's one of the things that they're kind of trying to bring out in people is that what does (laughs) red do? And And it's in a very specific order, correct? Right. You have to, you're supposed to show them in a specific order. So if a trained person was giving you this test, some of the things that they would be very cautious about would be that that they would probably sit beside you and a little behind you instead of across from you. Because one of the things that they try to avoid is any expressions that you would give if, if your client would say, you know, I see my mother <laughs> giving a- me a bath. And then, and then <laughs> You're the like, goes, Which counselors shouldn't do anyway. No, you but- <laughs> should, if you're a counselor, you should have a better poker face <laughs> yeah, anyway. You got to practice that poker face, I mean, baby. <laughs> some clients have told me some whack stuff. Yeah. And I have to and be like, go, uh-huh. Hmm, hmm, mm, sure. Okay. Tell me more about that. Right. <laughs> while inside you're going, oh my gosh, like, oh my gosh. You're curling oh up while your organs yeah. are shriveling inside your body a little bit sometimes uh the other thing is that you have to do them in a specific order and ideally the person who's being tested is to hold the card themselves which is another thing that's interesting that a lot of times you see people like sitting across the table and holding the thing up but they're supposed to be able to hold it so that if they want to they can turn it yes because that's part of the thing that they can do that um, the tester has specific guidelines or specific kind of like a narrative that they're supposed to use. They're not supposed to go off script if they're doing it the way it's it's supposed to be presented. And there's kind of two phases to the test. The first phase is that the tester looks at the card and just does free association, says the first thing they see very briefly. Like a word. Yeah. And then they move to the next card. Very briefly, they just say what they see, the first thing they see, the first yeah. thing that enters their mind. And all throughout the test... The therapist takes very specific notes and or records it if possible because you don't want to miss any little detail because every little detail is is significant. Because we do have to remember, like I said, this was being developed 
on the tail of psychoanalysis. Exactly. So when we talk about psychoanalysis, like free association is one of the key concepts of that, where you just like say the first thing that comes to your mind and Mm -hmm. that this has real shades of that. Right, exactly. The first phase is called free association and then the second phase is the inquiry phase and that's when you go back through the cards again in the same order and this time you ask the client to explain Tell me more about that, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, don't you try not to lead them, but you right, real you want, open questions, right? And so, I'm gonna I'm gonna step to the side for just a minute and say, as been, if you were giving yeah, me the test, I'm, you were stepping aside and yeah, back I'm, a little bit, <laughs> and a little behind you, so you can't see my facial expressions sure. going. Okay, before 1970, there were basically five different scoring systems that were being used, and they were all that's too many. Yeah, and they were all very subjective. Yeah, and so. How do you score a projective test? Exactly. So in 1973, officially, but he actually started in the 60s working on this, a guy named John Exner, Exner, Names are hard. (laughs) Names um, are hard. Came up with with what we now call the comprehensive system. So it's the Rorschach comprehensive system, the RCS, (laughs) which is what is usually used now. There are still some of those other methods kind of floating around out there, but this is really kind of the official one because it's very specifically graded and and shows, you know, where you're supposed to go with each of those things. When was this? Uh, 1973. And actually... So this was 70 years after Rorschach died. Mm-hmm. I mean, like a lot of a lot happened. Yeah, there. like I said, he made the things that were origins for the Rorschach, but he didn't like. He probably didn't even narrow it down to the ten, did he? He kind of did. He did. He, he had like ten to fifteen that he always oh, okay, used, and that's okay. where that came from. Yeah, around the same time that John Exner was coming up with his comprehensive system, I'm gonna uh, see. I keep stepping to the other side. Now I'm stepping into the other side. A guy named Wayne. <laughs> Mom's Holtzman. just doing a box step. I know, over and there. I even wrote this stuff down so that I wouldn't lose track. But I'm losing track. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all wacky. Wayne Holtzman came up with another ink blot technique that we call the Holtzman ink block technique. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. Hit. H-I-T. Which That's when a cool I see, acronym. When I see that, I think of that high intensity, you know, when you like do 30 seconds of a real intense exercise, oh, sure. something training, intensity, high intensity training or something. It's very popular now, but I think it's H-I-I-T. But anyway, that's not the point. He has the Holtzman inkblot technique, which is still used, has 45 inks, and it's much more standardized in its measurements. So he was trying to be more exact. Sure. And that kind of goes back to what you said about having more. Yeah. Because if you have more answers, it's more likely to give you a broader range to standardize. Right, with. right. So that's what he was trying also, to do. Also, it's like you can't memorize the 10 plates. <laughs> that's exactly right. Well, and you know, in the early days, people had not seen the plates. Like we can go online right. and see them now. But um, they didn't even have insulin. They sure didn't have Google. I know. If you could die of diabetes in four weeks. Ugh. Okay. Do you like my pages, Anna? <laughs> just, Mom's papers are flying all over. <laughs> I was waiting for her to make fun of me. I already um, did before we started. I got you, you my system. Okay. So basically, the way that it is scored is using clinical, like psychological interpretations of what's happening, but also they use all these fancy complex algorithms. Sure. And so there's a lot that goes on to the scoring. The actual giving of the test or taking the test, if you do it the right way, so to speak, can take up to three hours. With so, the 10 or with the 45? With 10. Jeez. I know. I know, I know. That's a long time. I mean, what would you talk about for for three hours? I mean, you you must be, let's break this down. So the first phase is the first impression. So that takes, what, five seconds per? That's less than a minute. Well, yeah, and you have to take into account that you have to explain things to them, and then you do it, and then you okay. go back. and ten you, minutes for the first well, phase. Well, it's at up to three hours, so you could do it in 45 minutes, but... <laughs> I mean, that's expecting them to talk about each one for like a 20 long minutes. I know, I know. I mean, it's like and that doesn't necessarily tell happen. me about your mother for yeah. like three hours. <laughs> that's really true. God. So if you go on one of these sites, like Anna was talking about, they'll they'll give you some ideas about like if you see this, then it might mean this. If you and there are, there's a lot of that interpretation. There are some what what I want to say most often responses. Whatever yes. that's the most likely it's responses for some of them. But what the tester is looking at is how the client describes the image, like what kind of words, and also they're also looking at just like the emotion that's being shared when this they first is see it. Kind of like you talked. You talked, I talked, one of us talked about graphology. 
you talked about graphology, mm-hmm. the, which is the study of your handwriting, uh-huh. yeah, where, like, it's not necessarily what you're writing. It's, like, the stroke of your pen or exactly. whatever. So it's it's more about, like, the tone. Well, and that's a big part of counseling. Sure. As a counselor, we don't just listen to the words, words. that you're saying. Yeah. We watch what you're doing with your body and your affect. Yeah. and That's why telehealth sucks. It does. I will say a big amen to that. <laughs> Okay, so so the tester is looking at all of those things surrounding it. They're looking at how long the person takes to respond to mm-hmm. something. If they're like, um, I definitely don't see a penis. You're like, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh, that reminded me of somebody. But okay, moving along. What? <laughs> somebody who would say that on a test. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely don't see a penis Definitely there. not a penis. Don't ask. <laughs> so the tester is also looking for what they call determinants, which are factors that are like how they describe the form and if the person talks about the shading it's or like, the color. I see an elephant, but sexy? They're like, okay. <laughs> an elephant with garter belt on. <laughs> I see um, an elephant and it's kind of a snack. You're like, No. <laughs> Um, <laughs> um, whether or not the client is looking at just part of the picture or if they're looking at oh, the whole sure. picture, those are all things that, that is are one thing I saw that was mentioned. The like, if you could, like, holistically, if mm-hmm. you like describe a scene, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And if, if whether or not you're describing action in the scene, yeah. or if it's or just, just two, an object, yeah, two people sitting or people. there. And a lot of the ones I saw were like, if you see people in this one, if it heard like the other way, if you don't see people. You might be like we struggle, socially inept or struggle something. with social stuff. Yeah. I'm going to mention that specifically in just a second. Okay. The tester will also, of course, be writing all the things that, that are said, not only about the ink plot, but like if the person suddenly starts to talk about something off topic, you know, and, and what that would imply, you know, about not, about not seeing a penis <laughs> in that picture. <laughs> um, <laughs> and speaking of not seeing it, <laughs> speaking of penises <laughs> that I don't see. In the calculating of of all of the outcome of the assessment, they do weigh, like, if you fall within a certain norm of the popular answers. You know, like, they see how many of the answers you're, like, kind of on par with the average person. Or if you come up with something way out there. Yeah, like, I feel like a lot of the common ones, you can't really do anything in depth with that because it is pretty straightforward especially if you're doing the thing where the first thing you see so like you're gonna get stuck on that you're gonna have a hard time looking at that and seeing anything else right so it's not like you can it's like i see a bat and then it's like tell me about that it's a bat what do you want me to say say about it (laughs) exactly and that one of the reviews that I read said the psychologist was saying that one of the inkblots that when she first saw it in a very popular image is a bat, but one of her clients said that they saw a frog on a motorcycle. Ooh. <laughs> and and she said, now that I see that, I can't unsee it. Right. I can't see anything else. That's what you just said. I have in my office. So when I was um, an undergrad, I did my art show i did a senior art show because i was also an art major Mm -hmm. and i did it psychology overachiever overachiever that's my girl i had too many credits to just throw (laughs) away the art degree so i was like screw it but i i did my art show on like psychology themed printmaking and one of the ones i did was a rorschach themed Mm -hmm. work like it has four panels and it has things that look like ink blots that i cut out of wood Mm -hmm. it's hard to describe but they're ink blots and people recognize them they come in they're like is that the ink blot test and i'm like yeah it's it's sort of based on it and they're they're like they're always, it's really cute because they're always like can i tell you what i see i'm like please <laughs> do but is it's it usually the same um i have a couple that are like like there's one that a lot of people say they see like a uh like a bunny shape in it because it okay. kind of has ears uh, going oh, out I the top see that i know what you're talking about and there's one that is exactly what you just said about the frog on a motorcycle because someone when i first made it like someone in college was like oh it's a sumo wrestler like crouched in the corner of the ring and and I was like, oh. oh, I'll never be able to see anything else. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's yeah, it's very much like once you get it in your head, it's it's in there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's in there. Okay. So let's go back to what you said about the social interaction thing. That's, let's talk specifically about the third ink plot. Okay. Um, can I tell you what I see in the third ink plot? Yeah. The third ink plot. The third ink plot. What I see, what I saw when I first took it, 
it looks and often it's in my head like this is an inkblot folded so I'm always looking for Mm -hmm. a mirror image Mm -hmm. so I see two people holding hands leaning back and dancing with their fingers up like in a number one thing really (laughs) oh I don't like how you said that (laughs) I'm writing this down I know scribble scribble no that's a very happy thing Uh uh-huh that's a very happy thing I see two kind of native women okay but I like you Anna in all of the ink blots my brain automatically sees the symmetry yes and my brain it's hard automatically for me to separate it from right them. and it's almost always like two I of see something. two things yes yes like there's one where I'm like it's two chameleons walking up a tree right so this third ink blot is the one that has red it has yes. some red on it it's the second one with red and so sometimes the focus is on the red. People focus on the red. And one thing is, if people do see people in it, mm-hmm. it leads you to believe that you're more social. If you right. don't see people, you see a thing, you may be less social. And the red, if seen as blood, might be an issue. Oh, interesting. Which I don't know about you, but I don't see it as blood at all no. in that picture. And Like I said, well, that's kind of going back to the holistic thing. Like I just see it as part of the two people. Right. And it says like in on this, psych watch that blogspot page i'm on it says the splotches of red ink are usually perceived separately uh common responses are bow tie or ribbon for the there's like one on the inside and stomach and esophagus for the outer hmm uh, it's hard for me to see because I see two people. Right. Well, and it's exactly what you said. Even if they're describing something that other people see, you look at it and you're like, like I, no, I see, see my it. thing. It's like yeah. that. I, you probably weren't aware of this. The dress that was like either white or. Yes. Yes. What was it? Like white or white green? White or gray or white something. Or, or blue gray or, or green. Blue yeah. or green or something. Or then blue once or you yellow. See it, you're, yeah. It's always blue for me. Do you remember I've those never posters the spinning ones? Oh, where you had to like look at them for a really long time, and then all of a sudden you would see something. You remember those? Oh God, I hated like those magic things. eye posters. P- yeah, people with headaches yeah. do not like those. You, you posters. have to cross your eyes to see it. You have right? to look you have to at do it. like the weird like cross eye. You thing. go into a kind of a like a like a trance state. <laughs> yeah. So on the description of plate three, it says, this is the blot that allegedly can determine sexual preference. Mm -hmm. A heterosexual response would be seeing two male figures, which doesn't sound very heterosexual to me, but okay. See, to me, you can obviously see their breasts. So what does that say about me? I don't want to know. (laughs) But because I see the two women kind of bending toward the center, like, Mm -hmm. like they're cooking together. Oh, in like okay. a pot or something in the center. It does say a homosexual response would be seeing two androgynous or female figures. So well, there you go. Congratulations I guess I just on your lesbianism. <laughs> I just I don't. Myself, I guess I'm. I just don't see gender, man. <laughs> like I don't. Not only in this one, but in the plates where I did see people in several of them, like a lot of them. So whenever I did, I never was like, "That's two men." I was always like, "That's two people." Like I, I never really. Took you the time yeah. to think whether they were... No, that's not true. In the second one, I did see dudes. I saw two monks praying together. Oh. So you brought that up. So let's... Well, first, let me put one more thing in that about okay. the social thing. Yes. One of the notes is that if you if you see two people and they're like cooperating in some way, like yours are dancing, sure. mine are cooking, that's a positive sign right. for your own social interaction that you and see. And if they're fighting or something, it's right. like... So, so those are kind of signs. Um, is that where the schizophrenia thing comes in? How was he using it to determine schizophrenia? You know, I, I didn't read more about it except that specifically the violence, there's a whole separate index that is sometimes used. It's called the aggressive potential that I'm sure would probably have something to do with the schizophrenia thing. Mm-hmm. But that's what they use like sometimes when they use it as proof in a court case, which doesn't happen very often anymore, they try to prove that the person is like a serial killer because of what they saw in there. Okay, we are going to talk about this for a hot second. On this site, it says, every Rorschach image has at least one obvious representation of sexual sex. anatomy. I was getting there. Okay. You know, I would get to the sex eventually. Of course you sometimes. would. Sometimes. <laughs> but this is when the schizophrenia comes in. It says, oh, okay. in some interpretation schemes, mentioning more than four sex images in the 10 plates is diagnostic of schizophrenia because schizophrenia is somehow sexually deviant i don't get that yeah i don't get that either i don't get that but but let's kind of go to that same page and that is the idea of Okay, I'm just going to read this because because if I don't read it, I'm going to say it funky. In the 1960s, research by psychologists Lauren and Jean Chapman showed that at least some of the apparent validity of the Rorschach was due to an illusion. At that time, the five 
signs most often interpreted as being diagnostic of homosexuality were... Because that was the diagnosis. Right, because you got to remember that in 1960, in the DSM... It was still classified as a disorder, yes. Exactly. So they were looking for that disorder of homosexuality. That's that's what they were looking for. Deviancy! Right. So the five signs were if someone saw buttocks... Or anuses. Especially if they said it like that. Yeah. I see buttocks <laughs> like, and anuses. Like, I see an ass. They're like, you are a straight man. <laughs> the one, the second one is female clothing or feminine clothing. So. I see a purse and it is adorable. <laughs> seeing male or female sex organs. So basically, if you saw anything sexual, you were probably homosexual. Well, Human- okay. I should have seen at least five sex things then because I'm bi and... Human figures. I didn't see any penises. Even when it was like, this is often seen as a penis. I was like, I can't see the penis. Where yeah, is it? There's one that's supposed to be the <laughs> most specific. Let's, okay. Yeah, are we going to talk about each of them? It's plate four. It's seen as... and Okay. It's seen as... To me, that's not at all sexual. Not at all. And, you know, I mean, I kind of... But let me... Okay. Okay. Let's look at foreshortening. It looks like you're like, okay, the like here's the floor and the camera is like under the floor looking up. Looking up up his legs. Like this is to the bottom of his feet and that's his magnum dong. (laughs) Anna Marie. (laughs) (laughs) That hangs lower than his feet? And he has little T-Rex arms. (laughs) (laughs) What what he misses in his arms, he makes up for in his phallus. What? <laughs> I don't see that. But what did you see it as personally? What do um, you see? I did. This is one that I did see guns in. But it's weird because like I saw the guns, but then I saw people. I saw two people looking at something in the middle. And then I saw like a ram on top. So I didn't see like a holistic image in this one. It was a lot of disconnected things. So I wonder if, if this is the one that's supposed to be most sexual. I found this one the most difficult to read. Yeah. I couldn't find. It was like yeah. I kept looking at it going, I'm not sure. And I kind of saw an animal skin like opened up. Right. But again, we go back to that, the symmetry of the picture. Mm-hmm. And that was something. I don't know that I said that and I should have that specifically Rorschach dealt with that he when he was making the ink blots he tried some that were not symmetrical like when he was first making sure. them and he decided that was not a wise choice because it threw people off like people got more confused right. when they weren't symmetrical right. so he chose it's like you said you know the folding over and it's completely yeah. symmetrical but but that was a a choice that he made it wasn't just oh you got to do it this way because yeah. he was an artist he could have done it any well, way he, he wanted to right? right and he was also like figuring stuff out like he was trying right. to right yeah there was on uh, plate nine is one of the colorful ones and it even says like this is it's it's hard to visualize anything and this was and this is intentional or something but i didn't have as much trouble with that one as i had with plate four yeah four is it four is a Weird one. Yeah. I mean, I even tried to like put something sexual on it. Like I looked at it and thought, well, maybe it could be like female mm-hmm. parts. Like ovary. Yeah. There's like a you lot can where you can the, see an ovary because an ovary is symmetrical it. anyway. Right. Right. So and there's a lot of loops side, the loop de loops on the side. It says plate four is the father card, which I don't like in association <laughs> with the what we just talked about. At first glance, it is a difficult blot to see a single image. The two lower corners are often described as shoes or boots. This card may also be seen as viewing a person from below or a male figure with an enormous sex organ. So did you do, did you come up with that before you read that? No. I had to specifically. You had to make yourself see it. I had to make myself see the dawn. Yes. (laughs) Thank you for using proper terminology, by the way. Force myself to see the enormous sex organ. scientific podcast that we have. (laughs) <laughs> so I totally lost my train of thought I don't know what because you were say. because I'm thinking okay about magnum dongs. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, Anna. There really is like it, I mean it obviously has listed on every single plate like here's the possible sexual imagery. Right. And it's I had a hard time seeing in a lot of them what they were talking about. It's like it's like oh there's breasts on this one and I'm like what? And there's like, oh, this one you see a male sexual organ. I'm like, what? Like, yeah. it's it's hard for me to see what they're, where that could even be interpreted. So unfortunately, going back to the idea of in the 1960s and even into the 70s, they specifically use this test to try to determine homosexuality in people. 
like that were undergoing counseling, struggling with that and trying to be cured, basically, uh-huh. because it was looked at as dysfunction. See, I would say like if I were using this with like kids and they saw a lot of sex organs, I'd probably look at trauma. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There is a, a whole separate scale that was created by a guy named Wagner. Sorry, I don't have his first name. But he developed a scale called the logical Rorschach which was an assessment to use on specifically the effects of trauma. Ah. However, as far as empirical data, the validity of the Rorschach has not really held up for anything except schizophrenia. Oh, it did turn out to be valid for that? Well, if it's done by an expert, you know, all those, if you, and on the cusp, also fairly valid was looking for bipolar and there was one other one, schizo schizotypal schizotypal so those three were the ones that were the most valid when tested for Interesting. but like anxiety depression all of those things yeah you, you really it's that, not this isn't the test right for that. and but so, we have a lot of tests there are other tests that test for that there are a lot of tests as far as as the use of this test movies to show that someone is a psychiatrist it's there. kind of a, it's <laughs> kind of it. become an icon yeah for 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 psychology i don't think i don't think if i brought out ink blots people would take it seriously right. in an actual counseling context no but you know i've done especially with kids and oh by the way the rorschach is approved for five-year-olds through adulthood that'd be fun i'd rather do it with a kid and i have done with my kids especially with littler kids i've shown them a picture and and said something like what do you see in this picture yeah, you know talk about it just yeah what do you see in this tell me the story of this picture yeah. which is more like the thematic the tad, yeah yeah but still, it's the same idea. It's, sure. It's the idea of engaging, showing someone something ambiguous and letting their own brain put labels on it. Right. So that you can see all of those things, you know, about perhaps that they do have trauma if something comes out that way or if they have certain leanings. I think it would be fun to like do ink blots with that, like have them make their own ink blots, like take a cool. piece of paper and put a drop of ink and then have them smush it together. Do you remember that thing that you used to do in school every once in a while where you had to um, write your name like in cursive and then fold it over? Do you remember doing that? I think we did it in fourth grade when I was your teacher. Mm-mm. You would write your name in cursive on half of the paper and then you fold it in half and push the ink so that it would it would be a mirror image and oh. then you had to turn it into something. Oh, I re- yeah. I, I remember, remember the one that sticks out in my head and I don't remember whose name it was, but it looked like it was very clearly like had antlers. It oh. looked like a deer head yeah. with antlers on it and but I remember that I'm pretty sure it was fourth grade when I taught fourth grade that we posted those for a long time in the classroom and some of the kids are very creative with what they came up with my name's going to be the same backwards and forwards so it's probably not going to be as <laughs> That's exciting not going to be as creative yeah are there any other ink blots specifically you want to talk about I don't think so. Like I said, they're kind of hard to talk about. Yeah. There was one where I saw two bunnies who were like, yeah, you want to fight? <laughs> Angry bunnies? That was plate seven. Were they? <laughs> hey, you want to fight? <laughs> Angry bunnies. <laughs> they're like, hey, Frank. <laughs> Italian? Don't touch Ang- my carrot, Frank. <laughs> That's my carrot. That's my carrot, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> Did you find somewhere where you could actually kind of be assessed? Mm, no. I mean, I, uh, again, I think with the projective the, test. The inkblot.com. I think it's, you can actually take it. But but the reason that this would not be very accurate is because it would have to be multiple choice. Yes. So so think about that. If the idea of the inkblot test is to go, to open your brain and let everything gush out, then a multiple choice test does not do that. Also, so, these are not the inkblots. They're not like the original. They're not the template. They're just, Yeah. They're not Which even might be a good thing because That's we already true. have predetermined thoughts on the That's on true. the real things. I, I really trust this site because on the side it says, it, it has like little banners that you can click and one says, the death psychic. One says, <laughs> stupidstuff.org. Is that the inkblot? Yeah, one um, says, galaxybattle.com. And the last one says... <laughs> I'm reading this. This is not at all something I condone. It says hemail or shemail.com. Can you tell the difference? Oh my gosh. So, so I'm going to reliable... exit out of this tab because it's transphobic. Cool. Okay. So maybe don't go to that one. <laughs> yeah, don't go to that one. Oh, this is not going to be good because this is going to come up and like be talking. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. That's why mommy doesn't have her computer on during during the episode. Mom, mommy watches uses her Netflix papers. during the episode. <laughs> 
Okay, so I would I would put this in a little ribbon by saying the validity and the reliability of the Rorschach test have been questioned yeah. throughout its history yeah. and still continues to be. And even though there have been many, many, many empirical tests, as Anna brought up, and they continue to do them, it's still very subjective. This is one of those very subjective things. It's kind of it's kind of fun yeah, to do, sure. you know, to look at and see what you see, or like a party game where you all mm-hmm. look at it and yeah, see what you come yeah. up with and see Pictionary. How many, Psychology see how many Pictionary. Pictures you How can many see. penises can you yes. see in this image? How the I will Simpsons also say, in, in defense of Herman, this isn't what he intended, I no, think. No, no. <laughs> like, people had to take it and run with it. Exactly. And, and we've had a long time to run with it. Yeah. It's been a long time. So. Yeah, it's definitely one of those, like, telephone game type of things. Exactly. Where it's gone on long enough that it's very different than the original intent, probably. I don't know. So if you do go to a counselor and they do this test, it is still used in the world. Sure, yes. So don't think, oh my gosh, they're a whack because right. they're doing... The, but by the same token, don't expect to see that if you go to a counselor. Because right. you probably won't. Yeah. Probably not. Can I thank the listeners this Would time? you do that? Sipsters, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening to us describe enormous sexual organs to you. Uh, thank you for that's all Anna. That is on dealing. Anna. That's not me. Usually it is. I learned from the best. I learned it by watching you. <laughs> I learned it by watching you. Thank you so much. As always, please interact with us. Tell your friends about us. Leave us reviews. All that good stuff. Absolutely. We do thank you for listening, and we want to invite you. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all Freudian Sips Pod, as well as, of course, our site, freudiansipspod.com. Please visit us. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can email us, freudiansipspod at gmail.com. We're also on Patreon if you want to support the show and hear our chapters from our book that we are reviewing. And, of course, we're Freudian Sips Pod on there as well. Please remember to leave us a nice rating and a review. If you can do that, that would be wonderful we love to know that you're listening and we hope to have you back at our next episode our theme music is sweet of vermouth by kevin mcleod and it sounds like this a lot of dong words in that episode (laughs) maybe we should count how many times you said dong the dong counter (laughs) 